Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. I get to be with Dr. Wendy Harris today, which is super exciting for me. I've known her for a little while, but I don't think I've ever had a very extensive conversation with her. So I'm really looking forward to getting her take on a few things. I'll read you a little bit of her bio. Dr. Wendy Harris is a founding facilitator for Gabor Mate's Compassionate Inquiry Program and leads groups from around the world through his year-long training. She is a level two IKYTA certified teacher of Kundalini Yoga and Meditation. That's how we know each other. An international trainer for Beyond Addiction, the Yogic Path to Recovery, and created and delivers the graduate level curriculum for the Addiction and Recovery Specialization at Antioch University, Los Angeles, where she trains therapists. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Harris graduated with her doctorate in clinical psychology from California School of Professional Psychology at Alliant International University and published Beyond Addiction, Kundalini Yoga and Mindfulness Meditation for Recovery from Opioid Dependence in 2015. All right. Well, I asked her a little bit about her bio, so we'll we'll talk about that through the uh, maybe at the beginning here. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and just have an opportunity to have this conversation. So curious yeah. to see where it's go- where it's going to go. I know. So I so I asked you before we were recording just to catch people up where I am in my mind. I was like, "Oh, are you still teaching Kundalini Yoga?" And she was like, "No, <laughs> no, not at all. Not even close." And as I was looking at bios to send you my identity and just history of being a kundalini yoga teacher is just in every single bio so whereas i'm not still teaching it i'm still a level two certified teacher of it i don't not know all the things (laughs) that i knew over decades of practice and study but definitely not comfortable with um teaching it and just barely able to do some iteration of a practice even now so you went through the whole level two that's more than I did, I did. wow yeah. how many years did that take <laughs> I think it was as a- many as your doctorate or less <laughs> you know they were both kind of happening concurrently really but um I just really went through the whole level two teacher training as they were launching the courses oh, and wow. I was actually one of the first people to finish all five courses. So, wow. Was yeah, I this, think I did it in two years. Okay. That's not bad. Was this, that's actually like the accelerated path. It sounds like. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I used to roll. <laughs> um, so you, you said you were doing this alongside your doctorate. Yeah. That's quite a lot. And and then, and so where was this in terms of like publishing a book with this was before I'm guessing, um, or was it kind of simultaneous I mean, it was as well? All, it was all happening. Doing? I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I am taking like the slow road from now on. Definitely <laughs> part of it comes with age, but um, really my, one of my main reasons in going back to school to get my doctorate in clinical psychology was because I was so immersed in Kundalini Yoga and I knew how much it was helping people that I work with, with addiction and trauma. And I thought, wow, it would be so great to legitimize this seemingly esoteric practice and publish about it and really make it the focus of my studies. So, I mean, I was all (laughs) the way in. Wow. Wow all the way in. Yeah. So did you discover anything interesting while you were like in that per- line of pursuit? Like, was that fruitful? Yeah. I mean, what I, what I learned is that the mindfulness research was really proving uh, with, you know, scientific evidence and brain scans. Um, a lot of the things that the yogis myself included, already knew experientially. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wow, this stuff really does work. And there's, there's proof, there's scientific evidence of it. Yeah. So I build upon a lot of the mindfulness research. Was the mindfulness research specific to Kundalini Yoga? Or was that like, 
just kind of any mindfulness practice? Any, any, no, it was not specific to Kundalini gotcha. yoga. I took the mindfulness research and then that was like my jumping off point gotcha. to then apply it to Kundalini yoga. Like, you know, the meditators, um, brain scan showed more blood flow and more oxygen to the prefrontal cortex yeah. and, you know, um, anyway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> So is that part of, do you do that sort of work now? Are you, are you using your clinical psychology degree or like mindfulness practices or something in terms of your work currently? I do. Yeah. So I have a private practice. So I've got, you know, clients that I see and I'll integrate mindfulness. Um, I primarily am using Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry approach. And then I will weave in dbt skills dialectical behavior therapy skills so it's a really integrated approach but a lot of it is really rooted in in mindfulness certainly neat yeah <clears throat> does that mean that you're sort of talking with people and then you're also giving them like practices to use or do you guide people through stuff or like what does that look look like um well what i like about Dialectical behavior therapy is that it gives the client actual skills to use. And again, there's lots of research and evidence that proves that it works. Um, but I have really steered away from any kind of kundalini yoga and uh, my meditations um, from kundalini yoga over the last several years, but it used to look like doing a session with the client and then teaching them the basic breath series or oh, teaching. Okay. Yeah. So I would, I would really weave in a lot of it or, Hey, this would be a really great Kriya to use to help transmute the energy from the lower triangle into the higher <laughs> centers. I mean, I had all, I had really internalized all of it and yeah. believed in it wholeheartedly. Um, it's really, it's really interesting to me how, um, the, the, like the base of scientifically minded people that, that sort of latched on to, mm. to mm -hmm. it. Cause for me, I, I don't think I really understood how it worked and, but I did experientially feel like I had some nice experiences with it. So that was kind of my, my motivation, but it's interesting to hear from the people who like kind of you had seems like you have other kind of networks going on when when something's happening right like oh i wonder what this is doing to i can't even imagine like this part of my brain or this part of my body or yeah yeah exactly so i definitely had the experiences and then i was going about it looking then for the the science to back it to, right. to justify it right yeah interesting so even though I know it works, it there's just been like too way too much trauma and heartbreak that, you know, for years, even trying to get on my mat to do yeah. the practice or to listen to the mantras or do any of it, I would actually have physical pain in my body. Hmm. I just, I actually couldn't even do it. Hmm. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, it took me a really yeah. long time to get back on doing some sort of practice. I don't yeah. practice. Well, so... And I'm curious what you think about this, because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, the practices we did were potent at times, mm -hmm. other times, maybe not as much, but, you know, mm -hmm. we didn't notice, <laughs> paid more attention to the times that it was like amazing. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. but, but, you know, having done other practices or like, I, I created my own sound practice, I call it body cello. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, this works, you know? this like mm -hmm. like there's do you do you feel like there's there's kind of a little bit more um flexibility now with what you would say quote unquote works in terms of practices or have you explored that much um you know I get on my mat and I stretch and I find that doing certain exercises feel good um, and I always physically feel good after I do some sort of stretching or yoga, um, but I'm not following any kind of prescribed thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's like the dogma doesn't, doesn't work. Um, yeah. And so what I've done as part of my own healing journey is found 
other ways of strengthening my nervous system. Um, uh, like I, I've taken up golf and oh, okay. golf is like such a great mindfulness exercise. Um, I bought a bike. I go bike riding. Um, I also moved to Santa Fe since the pandemic after I over see. 20 years in LA. Yeah. Um, and what else? Just getting out and, and exercising, having some sort of a, you know, physical practice that's not so limited. Um, yeah. Because for for years and years and years, my day started with a Kundalini yoga class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a little bit like being untethered, like now, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> do, I yeah. do? How do I start my day? Um, yeah. Well, and you come from, you come at this too, from like an addiction background, right? That, yeah. that, that the Kundalini yoga was helpful in, in some way for, for that. Right. So that must, mm-hmm. that must be especially on un, ungrounding to kind of have found something to replace something with, and then to have that kind of pulled out. Yeah, definitely. And I was using it professionally. So working right. years ago, working in a treatment center with uh, like chronic relapsing heroin addicts. Mm. I'm like, I can't promise you that this is going to feel better than, you know, shooting up with heroin, but it's sustainable and it's not going to kill you. <laughs> and then I would teach a pranayam and the, the, my clients were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is the best I've felt without yeah. drugs. Yeah. It it's, it's interesting. I met actually somebody who, who came from a, a, a similar um, background where he like replaced, I don't know what he was using, but you know, like really latched onto breath work. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in him like this kind of addictive tendency towards the breath work. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, now, yeah. now I can't do without the breath work. Like I'm, mm. he's doing it like 10 times a day, <laughs> like, you know, and granted it's not bad for you. So like, you know, you know, live and let live, but it, it was, an, it's interesting to me how, like, I mean, I see that with myself too. Like, I think we all kind of have addictive personalities in, in one way or another, where yeah. it's you find something you like and you're like, Oh, like more, more. Yeah. Well, it's like our relationship to anything. It can be healthy and it can also turn the corner and become an addiction. Yeah. yeah. So whether it's, you know, food, our practice, uh, our yoga practice, exercise, not just drugs and alcohol. Totally. Um, yeah. So do you work with people in that way now or is it just anybody that wants to come see you? Um, not so much. Um the majority of the clients that I have, they come to me through, I mean, dare I say, the Gabor Mate pipeline, um, okay. because I, uh, I'm i one of the founding facilitators for CI. And, um, you know, we're all, all of, all of us are listed on the website. And because he's, you know, a pretty big deal these days, people go to his website, and they're looking for um, people trained in his approach. Mm-hmm. So I get probably close to five, I would say an average of five emails a week um, coming from folks around the world that want to work with me. And sometimes it's addiction, sometimes it's trauma, it could be depression, anxiety, relationship problems. So any number of... uh, So you're doing remote yeah. as well as in person or only just only remote. remote yeah oh nice yeah and even well partly because everyone's international you know it's it's this global um yeah kind of this global pipeline um but even after I moved to Santa Fe and I bought a a lot that's commercially zoned and other folks here have therapy offices and I thought wow I could I could totally start seeing people in my home office and then word got out that I was in Santa Fe and I was getting a lot of inquiries. And I just thought, you know, I really value my privacy. I don't really want anyone in my space. And I want to be able to go out in a smaller town and not run into my clients or my mm. clients' kids. So, hmm. um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I really kind of 
have taken to Zoom and the convenience of working from home. It's pretty amazing, even for your client, I would imagine, because I don't know that there's that really much, as long as you have a strong internet connection, there's not right. that much of an advantage to being in someone's space. It's not like you're a massage therapist. I mean, that there would be an advantage there. <laughs> right, right, definitely. But like, yeah, you know, it's it's there's no commute. You just sit mm -hmm. down, you know, you don't have to really get dressed. You, you know, like it's it's just such a it's kind of the gift that COVID gave us, I think, yeah. that everybody was like, huh, this is a modality we could have been using all along or, you know, could continue to. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. And, you know, pre-pandemic, I was already working over Zoom, uh, the Beyond Addiction program, which is a kundalini yoga based <laughs> program for recovery from addiction. Um, we, that was part of what I based my, my dissertation on. And so I've been an international trainer for that program. Mm. So we would go and, and also not doing it since all the Yogi Bhajan stuff um, emerged, but I would go all around the world and teach a 10 day immersion. So folks coming in from all over, we're doing yoga, meditation, all kinds of, um, Kind of like journaling and really really building community coming together to heal and then everyone would go home and we would continue to meet weekly for four months over oh, zoom wow. so i was already kind of like pioneering that um with beyond addiction and found it to be really helpful and even some of my colleagues at antioch are like wait a minute how can you be in LA teaching, but you're actually in Canada doing this thing? <laughs> so I would, I would teach beyond addiction during the day and then teach my grad students over zoom in the evening. Wow. So I was, I was a big advocate for it. Um, way, way before it was a necessity. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I was doing my podcast with it, I guess, and doing like coaching stuff and, and mm -hmm. things like that. But yeah, I just think it, <clears throat> since the, the pandemic, it's, I think people are a lot more willing to get on a call, yeah. um, as opposed to going to, I don't know, it almost seems like an, like a terribly unnecessary convenience to go, you know, and have an appointment with somebody when you could just do it on your computer, even if they live, yeah. you know, locally. Yeah. You know, I had, I had a private practice in an office in the West side in LA and I was doing this group and I think there were about eight people in the group. And one day a woman said, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm going to be in San Diego or something. And I'm like, well, do you want to zoom in? She's like, sure. So someone set up their laptop. She zoomed in the next week. Someone else was like, can I zoom in? And <laughs> after a few weeks, we all agreed why don't we just, instead of driving an hour to the West side, <laughs> driving an hour home for this hour right. long group, why don't we just do it this way? So yeah. again, I, I definitely um, could, could speak to the benefits of, of meeting this way. Did you ever hear about one of those, like, you know how like Yogi Bhajan had like all of those, like kind of uh, predictions for the future. Have you heard them? Mm -hmm. one of them was like, no one will want to leave their house because of all the viruses. Oh my <laughs> And gosh. so you'll need to be able to do things on your computer. I think that wow. was what, and I'm like, okay, did you see this in a movie or like, what is going on here? I mean, I have to say <laughs> all things considered, he was quite prophetic about the times that we are crazy, living right? in. Yeah. 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 Insane. I, yeah. I don't know. And then, and then some of the things I wonder whether he, there had to be some combination of him being, you know, kind of tapped in but also like willing to probably borrow from people. I have to believe sure. that some of the things that he said were like things he heard someone that his secretary said or some <laughs> other, you know what I mean? Like that just seems, right. yeah. that just seems like it would have happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But who, who knows? knows? Yeah. Who knows? who knows? But that one is, that one's always like when, when I heard about the virus and everybody doing everything on zoom, I was like, oh, interesting. Are you kidding <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, I have what? to share. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. 
So I was just, okay. Okay. So I was teaching a class earlier today and it was on DBT. And there's a thing where we're talking about like the different states of mind. There's like reasonable mind, emotion mind, and wise mind. Dialectical behavior therapy. Okay. And then I said, you know, Based on, this is really similar to this yogic science that I've studied for many years where we talk about positive mind, negative mind, and neutral minds. And I haven't been able to even weave any of that in. I just had such a hard stop around it. Mm-hmm. So I shared a little bit about positive, negative, neutral minds. And then after class, one of my students stayed for office hours and she said, do you know Kundalini Yoga? She's like, I did some teacher training and that really, um, that, that, that sounded like something we'd learned. And I said, yeah. And we, we got into this, this conversation about it. And what I noticed for myself is that, um, I didn't have that really deep, big, heavy knot in my gut. It was more of like an ache in my heart, which tells me that like the energy is moving um, because it's not something that I talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are most of your um, contacts where you are now from that community or not at all? Is it easy to distance yourself? Oh, it's completely easy to distance myself. Yeah. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons why I left L.A., I moved mm. to LA. For you 20- moved to Santa Fe. <laughs> I, I did, which is like, you know, Española adjacent, <laughs> but like, you don't see people walking around in white wearing okay. turbans. Like, okay. it's really, since I've been here, it's just been a handful of times. Um, huh. okay. I do have a very, very close friend in Española, and um, we've done a lot of processing and healing together, you know, over the years. Um, but you know, I moved to LA for Kundalini yoga. I went to visit a friend oh. and my friend took me to Guru Mook's infamous Sunday mm. evening class where everyone met for, for, you know, mung beans and rice. It was such an after. amazing studio. It was such a, yeah. just a special, precious, yeah. beautiful time. And I walked in the very first class and I'm like, this is it. This is my home. This is my community. This is my teacher. Everything about it was right. And Mm -hmm. prior to that, I was living in Denver. I was a bartender and a club promoter of all things. And I had had said to to my friends, if I'm still doing this when I turn 30, someone shoot me. It was like like my way of keeping a really out of control lifestyle somewhat in check. And I came to visit a friend in L.A., and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. And it's by the ocean. I had no idea. And LA at that time with the yoga scene before, you know, like yoga work spot things up and it became mm-hmm. so corporate and it was so beautiful The vegetarian restaurants and the little places to go for tea. And, um, you know, what next year was this when you that first was went? 2000. It was 2000. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so next thing you know, I'm taking a trip to India with Gurmukh. She's, I remember her saying, there's only two things to put on your credit card ever. One <laughs> is teacher training and one is a trip to India. <laughs> well, that she just neatly fit? combined them into one yeah. purchase though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So of course I charged them both. And next thing you know, I'm on a trip to India, which had been... Um, a dream of mine. And um, I just went all the way in, you know, teacher training and the level twos and yeah. all of it. Yeah. You know, what I always found interesting about the LA scene versus like other Kundalini yoga scenes that I was part of or witnessed is just how low the ratio, or I don't know how to say this, how low the percentage of people who became Sikh were like Gurmukh mm-hmm. and all those LA teachers, they had a lot of people who just did the yoga. Yeah, they that was like, me. Yeah, they yeah. didn't go like all in. But if yeah. you went to other communities, it was a lot more. I just that seemed that way to me anyway. I don't know if that oh, was. Oh, I think that's really accurate. Really accurate. Um, and I was always really clear that I'm not a Sikh. I'm a Kundalini yogi. Yeah. Yeah. 
But then there was that small percentage of people that were that, you know, took on the religion as well as the yoga practice and lifestyle. Yeah. 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 And then there's the whole like faction of people. I think it's mostly L.A. based that are still like Harijivan or bust and, you know, nothing ever happened. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. Which is like a whole other fascinating thing to me. But yeah. Yeah. Gurmuk goes to Tulum a lot. So I've, I actually ran into, well, I saw her. I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, mm, I was yeah. just like, um, my, actually, I didn't even see her. My, my partner did. And he mm. was like, oh, she's, she's here. Mm. But I don't know if he knew who she was, but because um, mm. I, I extracted myself from my Phoenix community and, mm. and with somebody who's never done a yoga class in his life. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's that's been interesting but sharing with him kind of what Mm. the things that i believed and the you know we've watched a lot of cult documentaries together yeah those have been eye-opening huh i was like wait a minute i was in a cult and i didn't even know it (laughs) yeah do you feel like you were as just a yogi like do you feel like part of that was cult-like for you i think so yeah i definitely yeah i think so I, can I don't see really that. know. Yeah. I don't really know how much more to say about it other than realizing that there was a lot about it that would check the boxes of like, mm. yeah, this is this is a cult. Mm. Um, I don't have any of them top of mind because, you know, honestly, I try to compartmentalize. I actually do compartmentalize a lot of it. Yeah. Because um, it's just too painful. But I think one of the most when you bring up Gurmukh, um, one of the most probably traumatizing parts of this was loss of community mm-hmm. because it was what grounded me and the foundation of my practice or of, of just like my daily life. And, you know, I, I practiced with Tej daily for years mm-hmm. and years and years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just want her to admit that it happened <laughs> so we can heal together. Yeah. That's what I wanted. And instead, my my perception was that she was really kind of doubling down at a time that was really sensitive with like yeah. the master says quotes and like the extra big, big picture of him like behind her, you know, or yeah. beside her. And um, I was like, gosh, I just wish that we could all just heal together instead of denying it or you know all the other things that have taken place or you know to spiritually bypass it to be all good and wouldn't it just feel better to just stay in the joy (laughs) no but that didn't feel like it would um have a lot of integrity or be very authentic for me either yeah yeah Yeah, it's I was talking to Guru Nishan about that on the phone a couple years ago and we were both like gosh wouldn't it be nice if you could just be mm-hmm. that kind of person and just be like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know to what extent there's like, just not, you know, any kind of interest in knowing or whether it, it's like, it does really hurt, but they're ignoring it. Mm. I, I really can't say from the outside, mm. like what's actually going on there. Well, what I imagine, mm. because, uh, you know, I've given this a lot of thought, um, is that, you know, especially the first generation, if everything that you built your entire life upon was, you found out that it was built on lies created by a sociopath, a narcissist, you know, fill in the blank. Um, like what would that mean? It would be such a devastating blow um, so that's how I've been able to have a tremendous amount of compassion for people that just literally could not even cognitively allow themselves to entertain the possibility. It would be yeah. such, you know, it would just destroy it. Your entire purpose is built on being the keeper of the archives and keeping the teachings of, you know, like, what would that do? Right. And, and then the other The other, I guess, position I have on it is like, I'm so aware of the privilege that I have around this, that 
I always had multiple revenue streams. Thank you, Yogi Bhajan, <laughs> for, for the teaching to always have a triple backup because that's one that I internally have a triple backup. So, mm. you know, my- Oh, work, I don't know about that. Is that something he said? Yeah, 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 yeah. What was always that? Have a, have a backup plan and have a backup plan to oh, the backup plan. Okay. And that worked for me. So mm. even now it's like, I've got my university salary with benefits. I have my private practice. And I have my work with Gabor. Mm. And so when all of this happened, it did not affect my livelihood. So I had the luxury of saying like, oh, I don't have to really quickly pivot and rebrand myself. I don't like, you know, with the Beyond Addiction program, Satsadam was very um, responsive and, you know, went to the 500 page plus manual and removed his name and all of his quotes mm. and there's more than enough to to um replace mm. with um but I had the also the privilege of like you know what I'm gonna walk away from this I'm not I'm not feeling aligned even mm. though like 2020 I was supposed to be teaching the program in like Canada Switzerland Hawaii, Bali, India, and I think I'm forgetting one. Oh my um, God. So, I mean, I was, I was like doing it at that level, but at the same time, I was like, and I can just take a step back and really feel into what, what feels right for me. Yeah. What feels yeah. authentic for me. Um, yeah. That's a lot. That has to be a lot of it for a lot of people too, because <clears throat> And, and, and I don't think that it should be, you know, whoever, whatever teacher, you know, in, insert their name here, like their responsibility to give up their entire livelihood right. because they exactly. just found out that, you know, exactly, you know, it, that's really sad and yeah. how, and it must be very difficult to um, continue knowing now what you know. And so there's, yeah, yeah it's very, yeah. Yeah. So I've looked at it from a lot of different angles to have like compassion and understanding and to really not judge every single person for how mm -hmm. they landed or are landing or, you know, processing all of this, mm -hmm. you know, I can just say for myself, it's been like incredibly difficult around the loss of community, especially well, and it happened simultaneously with like the worldwide loss of community too. Yeah. So it was really yeah. amplified. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what's COVID and, you know, being in a, a global pandemic and what's, what's happening with people yeah. in yoga. Yeah. yeah. Coupled with like the intensity of the work that I've been doing, working in addiction and trauma, which also was, has been oh. amplified. Right. Oh, and so like the daily practice that was like my medicine and way of sustaining myself mm -hmm. also just kind of disappeared. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Creating that great space for golfing and riding <laughs> my bike and snowboarding. <laughs> I love that you golf. That's so, yeah, I know. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. People think it's such a trip, but try it and, and you might you might get it. Yeah. <laughs> It has a very, I think golf to me has sort of a, an alluring kind of quality about it. Like it does seem like a very peaceful thing. The people who are doing it seem to enjoy each other it or enjoy it. It, it seems just like, I don't know, just how m people must feel about going to a yoga class for the first time. It's like, mm -hmm. do I really belong there? Can I really picture mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. in that outfit yeah. or whatever? <laughs> that's funny I was like I'm not getting the outfits until I know what I'm doing because then there's like an expectation that I should be like golfing <laughs> because I look like it <laughs> yeah. so are you good I have to say I'm actually really good and uh, you know it's the way I do anything I started taking lessons with the mm. pro like every week and I was playing like three times a week because it was really my only social interaction mm -hmm. because I, I moved to Santa Fe during the pandemic where mm -hmm. everything was shut down. It was a total mm -hmm. ghost town. So mm -hmm. that was, yeah, it was like my social 
social connection too. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. The ladies, the ladies on the golf league. I was like, I just, <laughs> I need to meet people that are warm and welcoming. And I had no idea I would end up, on, I joined the ladies golf, golf league. <laughs> I, I joined the league. I was like, oh my gosh. So nice. Is that like a competitive thing? Like, do you guys play tournaments and stuff? Oh my gosh. We have tournaments all the time. Yes. Yeah. It's super sweet. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. I lose my ball and I'm like, no problem. Like, no, no, we saw you just open, open a package. That's a new ball. It's okay. It's okay. I don't want to hold people up. No, no, we'll look, we'll help you look. So they're like (laughs) in the bushes and in the tall grass and yeah, it's like an adult version of an Easter egg hunt. Found it. I'm like, at the rate I'm going, I'm going to lose a lot of balls. They're like, yeah, and it's going to be really expensive. So I'll help you find it. I know, so sweet. Yeah, yeah. But balls no, I got expensive? it. I got really. Is that a thing? I think, I think maybe like three dollars a piece. Oh, okay. I mean, if you're really good, you can play eighteen holes or more, even with the same ball. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> learning curve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I lose less balls these days for sure. That's good. That should be the title of this podcast. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, cause I, I don't know what passion, compassionate inquiry is. Do you feel mm-hmm. like kind of taking me through that? That sounds interesting. I mean, I could do a little bit of it or describe it. So it's, um, it's really, it's a series of questions that we ask a person and it's designed to get to the subconscious beliefs that are currently kind of interfering with our life. Hmm. So it's a really integrated approach that can be very um, somatic, like going into the body, Hmm. um, using the body as like a gateway or a portal to the traumas that that are stored in the body. And, um, you know, it, we, it would, uh, the inquiry would start with, you know, what's your intention for the session? Um, is there a current trigger, something that's recently come up that you'd like to explore? Mm. So then the person would talk about a little bit of the story and, um, you know, we bring the person into the body. Where are you feeling that in your body? What does it feel like? And is this a familiar feeling? Mm. And then when was the first time you felt this way? And, you know, oftentimes a person will get back to like age five or something like, whoa, I haven't thought about this for Mm. a really long time. Mm. And then it's exploring, you know, what, so what was going on at the age of five and what was it that you needed then? Um, And, you know, what, what would a child in that situation make that mean? What would they come to believe Mm. about themselves and the world? Mm. And then we start to form kind of identities and and the way we see the world and ourselves Mm. based on those earliest childhood traumas. And then it's kind of like, you know, what would that child need now? And so we also can integrate some IFS, internalized family system, or internalized I'm not trained in IFS, but um, the inner, what is it called? Anyway, IFS (laughs) and, you know, looking at like different parts, like what does that part need? And what is that part? What is the function of that part? What is it doing for you? Hmm. And, um, you know, recognizing that like what it is that you need now in this moment is very likely what it was that you needed as a child you know Mm -hmm. that the the trauma is not what actually happened to you but it's what you made it mean Mm -hmm. so so an example could be like a kid who uh, got bullied at school and comes home and there's no one to tell Mm -hmm. and so what does that kid make it mean about themselves right like nobody cares about me. I don't matter. There's no one to talk to. So the therapeutic experience can start to be like a corrective emotional experience because it's like, well, I'm here with you now. Um, the, the value of, um, presence and attunement. Um, so that's, that's part of it. And, um, it's also based on this idea that, 
you know, even though we're not responsible for what happened to us, it is our responsibility now as adults Mm -hmm. to, to heal, right. Mm -hmm. To take responsibility. And, and what does that look like? And it, it includes taking action, whether it's, you know, seeing a therapist or, um, well, we'll just leave it at seeing a therapist for, <laughs> for simplicity's sake. Um, and a lot of this is built on the idea that is as that we all need connection. And at a very early age, there are so many different ways that we potentially learn to self-abandon. Hmm. Um, because we need we need connection. So, you know, the authentic self has needs and wants, but it's a, a child might learn, what do I need to do in this situation to get love, to have connection? Oh, I have to be the good girl. Hmm. Oh, I don't get to ask for what I need. I have to be quiet. I have to go along to get along, hmm. right? And so those beliefs take root really, really, really early on. And so ultimately where, where we're heading is like, oh, I get to be authentic, set healthy boundaries, ask for what I want, say no. Um, and it's not at the loss of connection. Hmm. Kind of like you get to have your cake and eat it too. I get to be authentic and have connection. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's kind of the essence of CI. It's It's a way of bringing the person back to the original kind of core woundings and doing repairs around that so that you potentially can set yourself free. And in the moment, recognize like, oh, I'm being triggered in this moment, but it's really not about what's happening here now. It's the unhealed, unresolved trauma that just got activated inside Mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the healing begins to occur when that awareness is formed or is there some other yeah. Is yeah. there another step that somebody needs to take or is, is the awareness generally enough? What do you feel about that? I mean, I think the first step is the awareness and it's also important, the connection, that the person is not alone with the mm. awareness, that there's mm. someone there that can take them through the entire process. Mm. Yeah. I, I have a, a client who, um, I do psychedelic integration work with folks from time to time. I they'll... knew you were going to, I knew that was the uh, other really? thing you were going to say. Yes. Really? How did you know? Because I'm you almost up. said it, didn't you? Didn't you know. almost say it? Oh, okay. I don't know if I, <laughs> I did. I didn't think I did, but, um, you know, people partly because of my affiliation with Gabor um, and, you know, whatever. So people will come to me to do integration work. So they've gone mm. to the jungle, they've, you know, they've had ayahuasca, they're working with mushrooms and, and they don't know what to do with it when they get mm. home. Mm. So I do, I do integration work. Cause I think that's where there's a lot of, um, well, there's a lack of integrity and ethics. You know, people are so desperate for healing. They're paying the big bucks going to these retreat centers and then they come back and they can't integrate it. Mm-hmm. So to your, your, question is it enough to have the awareness no you can be aware and have all these insights but how do you integrate it what Mm -hmm. do you make it mean Mm -hmm. so this this client a new client um a couple days ago he was like yeah my buddy gave me four grams of mushrooms and put on like some meditation music and like and how was that he's like I don't know what to do with it (laughs) like this happened and that happened. And I started writing in the, a letter to my ex-wife and I started, you know, texting my older daughter. And I'm like, did you send the text? And I'm like, oh, terrible idea. You know? Um, so no, the awareness is like, so not enough. It's like, what do you, how yeah. do you integrate it? What do you make it mean? And yeah. like, those are kind of like the type of matters that you don't want to go out alone because you're often still looking through the same, the same lens that got you there in the first place. So you can get yeah. really stuck. It also it, sounds like that person could have benefited from a little bit of intention setting and space. I, I even <laughs> asked him, like, did you have an intention? He was like, no, I didn't even think about that. You know, 
Yeah, he could have benefited in many ways from doing it very differently. Um, but, you know, even in a ceremony, you know, you've got the shaman who is, you know, keep shaking the rattle, keeping the energy moving and you come in and you go deep and they're there, hopefully, ideally, you know, to bring you out on the other side, mm. you know, which is also the way, you know, that I would conduct the beyond addiction immersions. Like you come in at your baseline and we open you and close, open, close <laughs> all the while deepening. And then we're like deep in it for a while. And then, you know, we start to emerge mm -hmm. and then we integrate for four months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love that program and mm -hmm. I'm still holding space for how, how to do it when the time yeah. is right, you know, because the Kundalini yoga is an important part of it with yeah. moving the energy mm -hmm. as it's coming up because so much of the trauma is stuck in the body. Like yeah. how do you fit? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got totally, I thought of something and then it totally left. Cause I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, that's why I, I seriously, literally, Wendy, I created my own practice because I missed all of that so much. Oh, and that. I'm like, you can use whatever sound you want, whatever movement you want with breath. Yeah. And you're like, good yeah. to go. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, I feel like so much, so many other things would work, not because the Kundalini yoga doesn't work, but if you have mm -hmm. some sort of negative association with it and you don't want to um yeah. you know go there again like yeah. it's you're not like all is not lost you know your yeah. breath is powerful sound is powerful movement is powerful it's all yeah yeah it's, all it's like the, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right mm -hmm. yeah I mean one of the first kind of messages that I got with this was um you know that the the true guru is within right like the days of you know the the teacher up on the pedestal and and the the guru wash up which is you know like a, a cult mm -hmm. a cult characteristic like those days are over and that's really the intention that I work with with all of my clients is like let's let's help you to bring yourself home to yourself like I don't want the power like do not put me on a pedestal I'm here to ask you some questions to help guide you you know and and that's a big part of CI is like for the therapist to not have an agenda to not be trying mm. to get the person to get something it's mm. like no I'm just here to hold space and move along with you through this mm. process and um Gabor says that our our goal as therapists should be to get fired by our clients as soon as mm. possible. Mm. Yeah. I mean, not for doing terrible things, but no. for actually <laughs> like, <got> <laughs> you know, leading, leading them <clears throat> themselves. Yeah. You, know? you become no longer necessary. I yeah. totally, yeah. Yeah. I totally, it's like, it's funny. I was working with somebody and just this last week I was like, I think I'm done. And, and mm. she was like, this mm. is such great timing. I think, I think we're done. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you're done, you right. know, with everything, but I think that there right. should come back to your integration point too. Like you need some space also to integrate all of what you just went through in your life and, you know, get new insights and other things that you need to work on and things. I think there needs to be a little, you know, you, yeah, cause you have to, it has to be internal work too. So it's like nice to have that one-on-one -on -one with somebody yeah. and then to like get to be alone with it you know yeah. like you get taught to drive and then you have to kind of figure it and then maybe you decide you want to learn stick shift at some point you need a teacher again <laughs> <laughs> right yeah well and the, the therapeutic relationship can be such a beautiful touchstone you know I I tell all of my clients when we I don't even want to call it terminate because mm -hmm. we never terminate right you, you know really it's like no matter how busy I am, I will always find space for you. And there could be, you know, months that go by. I've got folks that are just doing monthly check-ins or mm. every six week check-ins after working closely for a while. Mm. So I love keeping that, the, keeping that door open. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Wendy, for being willing to do this. Do you want to share with people how they can get in contact with you and find out more about what you do? 
Sure. Um, I do have a website. It's drwendyharris.com. That's probably the best. Um, and my email is drwendyharris at gmail.com. So the website is D-R-W-N-D-Y-H-A-R-I-S. And the email is doctor spelled out. Gotcha. And then and I, I have, will put um, that in the podcast description notes so people can just click on it. Great. And then I have my social media. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Dr. W, but it's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-D-O-U-B-L-E. U. Like the letter U? The letter U. Okay. Yeah. So doctor spelled out, double spelled out in the letter U. And then I'm easy to find on um, Facebook too, Wendy Harris. So. I'm easy to find because I, I want to be found. Like who doesn't <laughs> want to be found? Maybe that's the title for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easy to find because I want to be found. Who doesn't want to be found? <laughs> Uh, thank you so much all right well thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye thanks for tuning in please remember to like share subscribe whatever your podcast platform offers you as a way of letting the algorithms know that you are enjoying these podcast episodes really helps and if you would like to stay in touch with me porter you can do so at portersinger.com sign up for my mailing list get a free download see you in the next episode and have an inspired day bye